This is the Rundown. The Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Live from the Auction Community Studios for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Bear behind the glass. A lot to get to here on this Tuesday evening. Bear, how you doing back there? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm noticing. I, I always have the weirdest timing with these games. Right as the show is starting tonight, they're showing the replay of Dolphins Cardinals on the middle TV in here. So... Why do they always replay the heartbreakers I, during this show? <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping they're just replaying it like a normal three-hour broadcast so I won't see the end of it because obviously the show only goes till 8. But if they're doing one of those like sped-up versions where it's just like real-time, it's actually just an hour, but then I'm going to be really unhappy around 7 o'clock. Uh, Kyler Murray was really unhappy after the game on Sunday, as I think most Cardinals fans were. But I want to play this clip in case you haven't heard it, in case you're just you know getting in the car, you've been at work all day or whatever, you just haven't had a chance to to tune in, or even if you have, um, it, I think it's worth hearing a second time. Bart Scott on ESPN Radio yesterday talking about Kyler Murray, and there's a couple clips here. I'll play this one first. This isn't a one-off. If you listen to some of his other interviews after they've lost. You know, especially last year when it was a tough season, he doesn't come off as, to me, a leader of men. Remember, they talked about his leadership was questioned when he came out, and they said he didn't interview well. Listen, this is a bit of a me guy. You're saying, like, I think he's all about me. See, quarterbacks have to be leaders because he he don't put the onus on himself. He puts it on we have to do something better when the team struggles. So that tells me he's a finger pointer, not a thumb pointer. Okay, seems harsh. First of all, before we go any further with this. We all heard the post-game audio on Sunday night, and I'm sure if you didn't hear it on Sunday, you heard it at some point yesterday. We played a few of the clips on this show yesterday. Um, I can play, I'll play one of them. There's a lot of dead air, so I don't want to play more than one since you've, you've heard most of them. But here, here he was asked about Tua. What can you tell me about the mutual respect between you and Tua? Uh, I mean, I've said it. Um, I've only been around him a couple times. Um, nothing but love for him and his family. Um, uh, he obviously played well today, uh, well enough to beat us. So, so when I initially heard the Bart Scott stuff, I assumed it was about that, and maybe it partially is. Uh, Gambo knows Bart Scott's co-host, though, and if you heard Burns and Gambo last hour, he said he had talked to, uh, not to Bart Scott, but Bart Scott's co-host, and said it, was, it wasn't just about the post-game audio. In fact, it, it was just more stuff that Bart Scott has sort of observed throughout this season. I got to say... I got another cut we'll play in a second, but that first one questioning Kyler Murray's leadership, like we're zeroing in on Bart Scott because we have that audio and it's pretty strong audio and he doesn't mince words, but there seem to be a lot of people feeling this or some version of this about Kyler Murray. He didn't even say anything after the game. If he had come out after the game and been like, you know, if they had said, okay, how do you process this loss? And instead of 20 seconds of dead air where he's wrestling, it does seem like we talked about last night. It seems like he wants to say something, but he doesn't say it, which is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to not say it to the media. So if if that's really what it was, and he is midway through his second season in the NFL and he had the restraint to do that moments after a gut-wrenching loss like that where he played well enough to win by 20, then I give him credit. I'm not going to sit here and rip him for it. Like, 
would it have been better if he came out and said, yeah, this guy sucked. This guy needs to do his job better. So and so on and so forth. Like, would that have been any better? Or is it the fact that he took so long to answer questions? Like, if he didn't leave so much dead air, if he just said, if his answer is like, how do you process this? We just got to be better. Yeah. If it was just that quick. Then he would just be Marshawn Lynch, right? He would just be giving. I'm just like, here so I don't answer. get fined. Yeah. Or he'd be Bill Belichick. I mean, that, Belichick doesn't give any answers. Kyler Murray gives a lot more insight in his answers than Bill Belichick has since he was the coach of the Patriots. I, I mean, I don't know about when he was the Browns. And, and they have this, what what they call the cool down period between after the game ends and the time that the players show up to meet the media. Yeah. But we don't know what really happened in that cool down period. We don't know what happened in the locker room. Was there heated conversations? Was was there yelling and, 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 and I, I, I don't, like you know, it. It, yeah, it really does. I, I mean, I would hope that there was. That was a so he's was, probably like processing a lot still by the yeah. time he takes a seat in front of the in front of the Zoom press conference media. Well, that that's a good point. I mean, if you if you hadn't heard that Kyler audio yet, there's a lot of questions that he answered like that was just a, with a lot of dead air. In fact, the one I played is the shortest amount of dead air. That was when he was asked about Tua, but he was asked how do you process this loss, and there was even longer time before you know he said we just got to be better. Um, you know, he, he went off on how nobody should be talking about first place right now. The first time I I heard and saw these quotes, there wasn't the dead air mixed in. Like I had just I had I had seen one quote written down pretty quickly on Twitter after the game, and it felt like nothing. And then I, I like I heard a clip of 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 one of the quotes before I did the post game show on Sunday night, and again it seemed like nothing. Then when I heard it in context, I'm like, okay, he's obviously upset, and maybe there is more he wants to say. But to your point, Bear. If he had come out after the game and they'd asked him that question, he'd been like, uh, yeah, I'm frustrated because my coach got conservative at the end of the game again, and it almost cost us against Seattle, and it did this time. If he had said that, he wouldn't be wrong, but I would at least understand the criticism of like, okay, you know what, know your place, you're a second-year player in this league, keep that to yourself. That's what everybody would be saying. That's what everybody would be saying. Former players would be saying this. Everybody would be saying, well, you know, he really needs to, he needs to have a filter and not say that. He had the filter and everybody's flipping out. I feel like everyone is always looking at something to pick on with Kyler Murray. Yeah. Oh, he's too short. Oh, he, you know, he didn't interview well at the combine. He didn't do board work very well, blah, blah, blah. And now, now that he's up there seemingly wanting to say and speak his mind and say some pretty negative things, and he doesn't. And people are like, whoa, why is he being so quiet? What? He's not a leader. Yeah. To your point. And they don't see what happens in the locker Not that you and I do, but no, none of us do. But, I mean, I, I now I'm watching, they're showing the replay, and, like, him and Cliff are talking, and I'm like, I wonder if he's angry at him right now, three minutes into the game. Um, no, I, I mean, I made this point the other day that, you know, I, I was out there at practice pretty consistently last year, which was a much more frustrating year for Kyler Murray, and he wasn't, never once came off as a bad leader to me or somebody that's like aloof or feels like he's better than his teammates. That was the heat of the moment right after the game. And like you said, there's that cooling off period, but that cooling off period is not two hours. It's like 10 minutes. And they probably were all yelling at each other in the locker room after that game, the way it ended. Um, here's the other one from Bart Scott. See if it lacks I said it first. Kyler Murray is not a leader of men, and if this team hits adversity, they lose Fitzgerald. You know, they ever have Andrew Hopkins. 
He's going to come apart at the seams. He's going to be one of these guys that goes out and spazzes out on a reporter. He's going to be one of those guys, man. I know what I know, and I know what I'm watching. I'm telling you, this guy's not when, when a does CEO. The, I, just, I, I just don't see it. I'm not saying that he's going to play out his entire career and never, never snap at a reporter. I mean, a lot of players in a lot of sports do that. But to paint this picture that he plays football and it's all about him. I mean, the, the way I have observed Kyler Murray in the first year and a half of his career, and you know, we're right here. We're not, we're not watching him from New York. We're right here. To me, it's been the loss has just eaten him. He wants to win. He wants to win as a team. He does not, and I said this the other day, and, and, and I, it's just honestly how I feel. He doesn't seem to enjoy winning as much as he hates losing. He's not used to losing. He, he took it last year because he looked around and said, okay, there's a reason this team was you know picking first in the draft. And, but they got better last season as it went on. And then I just I, I didn't get any of that from that sound. But what I got from that soundbite after the game on Sunday, or any of those soundbites, were he was really frustrated right after a tough loss. And he showed some restraint. And he didn't throw his kicker or his coach or his defense under the bus. And... You know, I think we'll hear from him. I think it's tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow or Thursday usually talks to the media. All right, let's get quickly into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. All right, NBA news. It is official now. They will be starting back up on December 22nd. Free agency beginning November 20th. Barry, you made a good point off the air. November 20th is next Friday. So, the day after. It's going to be fun. Day after Cardinal Seahawks Thursday night. Two days football. after the NBA draft. Yeah. And next week's going to be crazy. You got the draft on Thursday, or Wednesday, rather. You've got Cardinals Seahawks on Thursday, and then you've got NBA free agency on Friday heading into the weekend. And because, you know, it's November, you still have NFL football that weekend. Just the Cardinals will obviously won't be playing on Sunday since they played on Thursday. Uh, NFL approving two new measures. The idea of expanding to a 16-team playoff if future games are lost because of the coronavirus pandemic. So the vote for that was unanimous. And I guess all eyes on Pittsburgh since they've already had a bye week, forced bye week, because the Titans were dealing with coronavirus. Now the Steelers are dealing with it. So there is... If they're unable to play as a team this weekend, then you find that this is the first real instance where we have a team that doesn't have a bye week they can move their game to. They would have to move it to a week 18, and that's when you start to push towards this potential 16-team playoff. Now, they haven't moved a game around, I don't think, since the Steelers game, right? Since Steelers-Titans, and that was week two or three. That was early this season, so we'll see. The other one, there are now incentives to reward teams with draft pick compensation Apparently, it's two third-round picks if those teams develop coaches and executives of color. So it just, you know, to try and make this a little more diverse uh, at the head coach, uh, at the even just assistant coaches, ownership level, any of that, GMs, certainly. So instead of punishing teams that aren't doing it, maybe a different way to approach it is incentivizing teams that are making that effort to, to try and get a little more diverse. And uh, finally, NCAA, SEC calling off a couple games this Saturday. Alabama LSU and Texas A&M Tennessee, those two games have been, I believe the official terminology is postponed, not necessarily canceled, but uh, they won't be played this weekend as a lot of the SEC right now is dealing with COVID-19. All right, 
We talked about Kyler Murray's disposition. When we come back, how are the major prognosticators, the stat-based ones, who were all dealing with an election last week, now they've turned their attention back to football, what, what chances do they give the Cardinals of making the playoffs after their loss on Sunday? That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. You know, the other thing with the Kyler Murray stuff, Dave Burns made this point on Burns and Gambo before. I was listening when I ran running around to get food uh, before the show. If the Cardinals hold on to that lead in the fourth quarter, which really is mostly out of Kyler Murray's hands, the way that game ultimately played out. Like he's not the reason that Miami scored the the last two times in that game and, and, and won. He's not the reason that Zane missed the field goal. Uh, he's not the one that called the the strange play on third down. He's not the reason. You know, it, it, at the end, you can look. You can say Kyler Murray fumbled on the opening drive and it gave Miami seven points and it changed the entire tone of the game because Tua was was playing with a lead early on and, and maybe that you, that's fair. But from that point on, Kyler played a pretty much perfect game at quarterback or pretty close to it after that. If they hold on to win that game... The conversation this week nationally is, okay, well, Russell Wilson's turning the ball over. Maybe he's not the MVP. Patrick Mahomes is probably your leader. And Kyler Murray is getting buzzed as like second or third in command for MVP if they just win that game. So because they give up points in the fourth quarter and Zane misses that kick, now all of a sudden we're being told he's not a good leader. (laughs) Like that's... I understand the NFL is a game of inches. That seems ridiculous. That seems overreactionary to me. Uh, looking at some of the, the statistical sites, the ones that try and project, uh, project things and predict, and I'll just combine them into one magical word. I've got football pro- outsiders. Pro- project. I'm trying to combine them into, into a good word. <laughs> They're so close. Anyway. Um, that was a huge embarrassing failure just now, me trying to combine those words. No, I appreciate that, though, because now people will remember you doing that instead of me mispronouncing predictions. Yeah, you're welcome. So that's that's a good producer stepping in there and just and, and falling on the grenade for me. Uh, so I've got uh, 538, I've got Football Outsiders, and I've got ESPN's Football Power Index. And they're all pretty similar in that they give the Cardinals a 63% chance of making the playoffs. Okay. Uh, most of them that have that as a lower percentage than the Rams, which I don't totally get because the Cardinals are 2-0 and in the division, too, tied with the Rams record-wise. But this is the one that, that kind of stood out to me. And I'm not sitting here saying, oh, yeah, the Cardinals, you know, they're going to, they're obviously going to win the Super Bowl this year. But, Cody, if I asked you what percentage chance off the top of your head you'd give the Cardinals to win the Super Bowl, I know that this is not nearly as scientific as 538 or Football Outsiders, all these metrics they have and all these different formulas and and programs they are running. But if I just, off the top of your head, because for me, I think it would be like, I mean, the Chiefs are the favorites. You got to give the Steelers certainly some credit. They've looked shaky lately, but whatever, they're undefeated. Like, I'm going through some of these teams. I'd probably give the Cardinals a 
I'll give them like a 25%. Oh, wow. That's even higher than me. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the actual math is. I, w- I was going to say like maybe 10, 15%. I'm just thinking like, you know, there's probably eight to 10 teams that could win the Super Bowl okay. this year. What, what do they say? Uh, they say 2%. Well, I look like an idiot now. No. That's I, cool. I, <laughs> that was the whole point of this segment. That's great. No, I just, that seems low, doesn't it? You're telling yeah. you're basically saying the Cardinals should be 50 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. And, and it's, it's, I feel like when you say 2% to win, you, you, those teams are like, you know, the teams that are 3 and 6 right now yeah. or something like that. Yeah, not 5 and 3. I'm trying to find other teams. Well, they, I mean, the Rams, they have a 2% chance. They have, I guess it's worse if you're the Colts. They gave them a 1% chance of winning the Super Bowl. Like they gave the I Bears. I guess it's just not based on record then, I guess. Um,. A lot of the like the Jets have a less than one percent chance. <laughs> Negative percent. The Jets have a less than one percent chance of you making the playoffs, and honestly, that seems a little high. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just they give the Chiefs a twenty four percent. This is uh, this is five thirty eight. But like I said, most of these are are pretty similar, uh, which is interesting that they're not using the exact same metrics and they're coming up with uh, with pretty similar numbers. But the other thing I saw a lot of was. Uh, like ESPN and their power rankings just kept the Cardinals right where they were after that loss to Miami. And I understand the standings don't work that way. But those are kind of that's kind of my feeling too. I don't really feel worse about the Cardinals because they lost that game, if that makes sense. Their path got a lot harder because they lost that game. If you win that game, you're in you're basically in first. You're technically tied, but really technically you have the tiebreaker over Seattle. You have the inside track on the NFC West. You're right there tied for the top record in the NFC if you just hold on in the fourth quarter and beat a, a team with a rookie quarterback making a second start. That's a much easier path. But now here we are two days out from the end of the game. I don't feel worse about the Cardinals. I feel better about Kyler Murray, at least on the field. I, I'm starting to think a lot of other people don't. I like. I feel good about what I saw from Marcus Golden. There's a lot of things I feel better about after having watched that game, but I don't feel better about the team collectively because they lost a game they should have won. So it kind of evens out. Like I feel better about Kyler Murray. I feel better about Marcus Golden. I feel better about this and that. But then I also feel worse because they they let that. So it's just it kind of evens out. And that's a lot of the power rankings this week are sort of uh, sort of showing the same thing. Of it's just kind of like yeah, you know they were they were tenth before they were eleventh before. That's about where they are. But two percent for the Super Bowl. I understand that's not opinion-based. That's some sort of scientific formula, but I think if they played this season 50 times, the Cardinals would win a couple of those Super Bowls. Probably probably about five, I would say. All right, we're going to stick with the NFL here. Story on NFL.com today, since we are essentially at the halfway point. So they have their midpoint awards. Now, Bear, I haven't shown you this yet, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make you guess some more of this segment. <laughs> Great, it's gone well so far. Uh, well, here, how about the first one? I will just tell you who they have, and then you can react. MVP, they have Russell Wilson number one. They have Patrick Mahomes number two. They had 28 of their their panelists from NFL.com vote. So Wilson got 14 votes. Mahomes got 13 votes. Third place. If we weren't on the air right now, I would I would try to make you guess, but I don't think it'd be great radio. Maybe Derek Carr, third. Why? For MVP. I don't know. And you know what? They don't even ever explain it. It's like one guy voted for Derek Carr, and they were like, ah, all right. It's, it's got to be that guy at work. Like Everybody has that. You, you, everybody knows that, that one person at work where you're just like, oh, yeah, they did that again. This is that guy. Yeah. He would. 
Where do you think Derek Kyler, Carr? Derek Carr. Is David Carr technically, is he voting in this? Yeah, yeah. that's a conflict of interest, sir. David Carr is one of the participating Aha! analysts. Aha! <laughs> All right, well, we may have just solved that uh, <laughs> that mystery. Uh, offensive player of the year. This one, so, okay, so stop on MVP for a second. I'm not saying Kyler should be the MVP. To me, at this point, it's it's Mahomes. Where is he on the list? Well, they only list the top three. Oh, well, that's stupid. And <laughs> But I was talking with somebody about this earlier today. Doesn't He's back in the top five, don't you think? Yeah. You. I mean, you'd have to... I think you got to go Patrick Mahomes number one and Russell Wilson number two. Yeah, and then you know you have the conversation: Is it Aaron Rodgers? Is it Kyler Murray? I would think they would probably put Aaron Rodgers ahead of. Yeah, yeah, just because he's Aaron Rodgers and he plays for the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay would be terrible without Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they would. But you know what? The Cardinals. We've seen the Cardinals without Kyler Murray. It wasn't real pretty either. Yeah, two years ago. So offensive player of the year. This is where it gets kind of interesting to me. They they same twenty eight people voting. But this, I would kind of think, okay, maybe you would move Kyler up there because he's on pace for, what, a 1,000, like almost 1,100 rushing yards on top of all the, the passing and everything. Alvin Kamara, they have number one. Dalvin Cook, they have number two. I can't argue with these guys. Dalvin Cook has 500 yards and six touchdowns in the last two games. Patrick Mahomes, they have third. I'd actually probably still have him one. Devontae Adams, fourth. Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Kyler Murray's not on this list either. <laughs> So, does does everyone just have this weird hatred for Kyler Murray? It, no, I think because he's changing the game and all that stuff. Well, there might be some of that, but I don't know that that's necessarily what's in play here. No, that wouldn't make sense because Lamar Jackson won the MVP last year, and he was quote unquote changing the quarterback position. Yeah. Um. I. I, I don't know. I don't think that's at play here, but there does seem to be a, a, this uh, you got to prove it approach. But what's what's maddening to me is again, if they had won on Sunday, he absolutely would be. Uh, maybe he wouldn't have got that vote that Derek Carr seemed to have locked up on. Yeah, what is the <laughs> but, but what I is mean, the Raiders' record right now? Uh, they're five and three, two, I believe. I'm pretty sure they're five and three. Okay, then um, they're either five and three or six and three. So, uh, yeah, five and three, a few games back of the Chiefs. But here, this whatever. If, if disrespect to Kyler Murray, whatever. Um, the thing is, I just don't know what more can you really ask of him in the second half of the season. If, like if Kyler Murray does in the second half what he has done in the first half, you know, I want to see because it's the second year. I still want to see him looking a little bit better as he has. I don't want to. I don't want to look at the end of the season and say, oh, in week 17, he looks like he did in week one. He has been improving. So in, in that sense, I want that to continue for the rest of the season. But if he's just slightly better in the second half, I mean, I'm fine with that for year number two. But here, this is where it gets interesting. Coach of the year. I got to scroll through. Adam this. Gase. Uh, Does Mike, he have a vote? Well, let me see. A lot of people got votes. Nope. <laughs> uh, number one is Mike Tomlin. Tough to argue with that. Eight no. And they've had injuries. Number two is Brian Flores. Tough to argue with that. The Dolphins look better than they should. Number three is Sean McDermott. Bills. Okay, first place. Number four, Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> so, so are people Wait looking, a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Are, are people looking nationally at the Cardinals and saying, oh, they're five and three. That's because of Cliff. Not because of Kyler. He's who, holding him back. Who executes the plays that Cliff calls? Kyler. <laughs> or Chris Trevler occasionally. We haven't seen Chris Strevler in a while. No, we haven't. 
I miss him. But isn't that, I mean, I, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but again, I'm, this is the NFL. It's NFL.com, and I'm looking at the I national. I think you're reading just the right amount just into it. Just the right it, amount. Because right. it's weird. It is weird because it's. Derek Carr? Well, that. <laughs> Come on. How about this? Who would you have for rookie of the year right now? Because I'd have Burrow, and they don't have him in first. Her, well, they have Herbert. They have Herbert one, Burrow two. I can understand that, I guess. I, I can, too. This one, okay, I mean, now that we've gone down this rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, we're too far deep Num- into it now. Number three, they have Edwards Alaire. Okay. I mean, they have Burrow and, and Herbert way ahead, which they should. Number four, Mackay Becton. What? Number five. An O-lineman? Number five, they have Tua. Tua's played two games. <laughs> yeah. Where's Justin Jefferson and C.D. Lamb and those guys that have been good all year? It's Fair, fair question. Okay. Defensive rookie of the year, they have Antoine Winfield. I'm not going to argue with that. He's been really good for, for Tampa. I, I, they have Chase Young second. I object to this list <laughs> and these people who are voting. Fair enough. All right, we come back. We will get into what exactly happened with ASU last week and what's going to happen with them coming up. We're going to talk to Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source and get his thoughts, what he saw firsthand from the, the Sun Devils against USC and how they recover now. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Welcome back to the show. Still recovering from ASU's 28-27 loss on Saturday morning to USC. The Cardinals game, by that point, I was just kind of numb to football over the weekend. Although, Cardinals found a way to hurt me, too. That was nice. It was a fun weekend. Joining us now on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line, Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source to lend some insight on uh, ASU's opener. Chris, thanks for the time. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Luke. How are you doing? Uh, I'm like, well, I'm doing all right. Like I said, recovering from this weekend of football. But uh, let, let's start with the positives from that ASU game against USC. I, I, it seems weird to say that with the way it ended, but I, I thought they outplayed USC, honestly, for about 55 minutes of that game. What did you take from that game that you think they can build on going forward? Well, I think clearly they outplayed USC for the vast majority of the game. And I would even say that they outcoached uh, USC. Marvin Lewis. And working with Chris Hawkins, they had a great game plan defensively. Um, you know, how many times do teams give up almost no big plays in the passing game against that potent of an offense for almost the entirety of the game? And that's what ASU did. Uh, you look at Jack Jones and Chase Lucas, there were no big completions outside the numbers, uh, really nothing that was behind the defense. I think I only counted one real coverage breakdown where Jack Jones didn't trail our receiver because maybe he was thought he was in zone, but it really should have been in man. And um, just uh, against uh, Keaton Slovis, they really made him struggle to find open receivers against their zone, which they ran probably 80% of the time or more. Uh, And then really um, the linebackers uh, showed that they were a lot better in coverage in this game. Uh, Merlin Robertson had that interception. Kyle Soley should have had an interception. Those guys did a good job really uh, throughout in, in all facets. And there was better uh, pass rush and just overall defensive line play um, than I had anticipated, especially at those end positions uh, where Tyler Johnson and Michael Matus held up quite well. And then the run game uh, on offense was stellar, really. Um, 
people didn't know what to expect when you had so many new offensive linemen that you're replacing and multiple transfers and Ben Scott's a redshirt freshman never played before and all new running backs replacing Eno Benjamin. But I think we saw pretty clearly that Rashad White is special uh, for a junior college transfer. Damonte Tranum is a exceedingly good uh, freshman at 230 pounds and physical and fast and athletic. And the offensive line did a very good job. Um, I thought Kellen Deesh, in particular, the left tackle transfer from Texas A&M, uh, had a great showing. And to me, he looks like an NFL prospect. So plenty of very positive things that ASU has to build upon. Uh, going back to the defense for just a second, because the, the defense, at least for me personally, was why I was looking forward to this season. Even at points last season, I was looking forward to this season because of guys like Merlin Robertson and just the, the experience that they were getting. And Jack Jones, I thought, played a phenomenal game when he wasn't cramping up against uh, Imon Ross, St. Brown, and, and everybody on USC. My one concern maybe concern's not even the right word, but just my one hesitation coming into that game was, you know, you are working in Antonio Pierce and Marvin Lewis as your defensive coordinators. No Danny Gonzalez. It didn't really seem like there was an adjustment period for them. And if that's the case, is it safe to say ASU's defense should be a strength here going forward the rest of the season? Absolutely. Um, I, I think, again, something that we talked about in the past was how much more instruction that they got with coaches on the field because of this COVID situation in months that they ordinarily would not have been able to do so. Yeah, I'm thinking like uh, August, September, uh, even before they started their preseason practices and what that provided from a schematic fluency uh, standpoint to those guys on defense. It looked much better structurally than would typically be the case for a first game in my opinion, even when you have a lot of veteran players as they do on defense. And there's just absolutely no way that they will play in their next five games uh, any team that has nearly as much potency in the passing game as USC. And so when you don't give up any big plays until really the the last four minutes of the fourth quarter, uh, in that respect, Slovis had zero touchdown passes uh, until the very end of the game when he had those two. Uh, I think that's a that's a really terrific sort of sign, especially when they uh, did a pretty good job against the run and uh, their pass rush and just overall sort of physical presence at the line of scrimmage was better than I had anticipated. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, you mentioned the running backs, and, and it was certainly encouraging to see what we saw from, from White and Trainum. As far as the receiving game, I mean, White had the, the big play, and it was just a short pass. He took the distance. He was the leading receiver, but... L.V. Bunkley, Shelton, we saw in on some plays. Johnny Wilson had kind of a tough day. How do you assess the receiving group? Because they didn't have Frank Darby for most of that game. That was big because even if Frank Darby doesn't become a high-volume target guy in that game, you still have to respect his deep threat capability because he's probably the best returning Pac-12 player in terms of the home run ball. And so that means that you have to roll safety coverage over to him. It creates more... Uh, uh, space to work in with the other receivers and man coverage. And I think that makes it a little bit easier for a guy like LV Bunkley Shelton in particular, who's pretty elusive underneath to be able to get some separation. They didn't have that as much in this game. I think it, it, it became uh, a much easier sort of game planning for uh, USC's defensive staff when that was the case. And ASU, uh, even though they ran the ball really well, I thought they got a little bit narrow in their overall play calling with Zach Hill. 
we didn't see them sort of try to mitigate their their off their wide receivers issues by going to some more play actions in that third quarter or early fourth quarter to get tight ends involved, maybe some bootlegs, uh, some, some, some design sort of rollouts, some half-field reads for Jaden Daniels to have more time on read options and be able to get some levels concepts and get the receivers running around a little bit more freely and, and get more comfortable with some of the routes. I just think that maybe it got a little bit too narrow for them, partly because they were having some success running the ball and had a lead and were trying to bleed off some clock. Talking to Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source. Chris, we've talked about a, a lot of the positives from this game and a lot of reasons to be encouraged, but they ultimately did lose in pretty gut-wrenching fashion when you consider the fourth downs that were converted and the onside kick that USC got back and ASU not able to, uh, to score. I mean, Sun Devil still had a chance to just come down and win it in the final minute 20 anyway. That said, how do they bounce back from that then, or do you think they will? Because assuming the game against Cal happens this weekend, Cal's got a pretty good defense, and they've got a half-decent team. Not as good as USC, but they're decent. Absolutely. So, look, I think if you're Herm Edwards and these coaches, you have to frame it like uh, we were the better team. We should have won. We let that game get away from ourselves because we played poorly in a few minutes uh, at the end. But, um, you know, we still have uh, a lot of ability to uh, go out and win the rest of our games. We have a chance to be favored, really, in the rest of our games. The toughest opponents are at home, Sun Devil Stadium, Cal, and Utah. UCLA is not looking that good. Uh, Colorado and Arizona are road games that ASU probably should win, uh, just when you look at sort of the talent and and where those teams are at in in their development. So uh, I think think they're just saying, look, let's just – Let's just try to get some momentum going. Let's get a win at home. Let's figure out the best way we could do that. Uh, but, yes, Cal is a difficult opponent. Uh, Chase Garbers, you know, being healthy and getting their whole uh, wide receiver core back, plus a pretty strong defense, even if they lost uh, their top tackler from last year as a linebacker, Evan Weaver, who was really tremendous. Uh, it's not going to be an easy game. But, um, you know, the, I think ASU should has the advantage. They should be able to be quite limiting to Cal's offense. They just can't turn the football over and do the, do the, the things that could sort of shoot them in the, in the foot, like giving up, uh, you know, fourth and long situations, having special teams miscues like they had with Jack Jones and those types of things. Jane Daniels is not going to turn the football over. The running backs, I think, are, are very solid. If they play a relatively mistake-free game and get the type of defense that they did against USC, they really should beat Cal. Yeah, and like you said, they really probably should win the rest of their games if they play the way they did against USC. Chris Cartman, great stuff as always. I do feel a little bit better about Saturday now after this conversation. So thanks for that. Thanks for the time, man. Things are building pretty well for ASU overall, Luke. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, thanks a lot, Chris. Okay, thanks. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, the, the Sun Devils in a uh, in a tough. It's, a, it's such a unique spot right now because it's like they are good enough to beat USC. So if you're good enough to beat USC, you're good enough to beat anybody else in the Pac-12 except maybe Oregon. But if you don't beat USC, then just like mentally, does that mess with your team? This is not, we're not talking about guys that have played in the NFL for 15 years here. We're talking about college students. So does that mess with you? You were that close to USC and you let it slip away. And now like if you had, if you had, um, you know, aspirations for going undefeated this season or whatever, that's obviously out the window. And then the other thing you have to deal with is we don't even know if the game against Cal is necessarily going to happen. We should find that out tomorrow. But, um, you know, that does that mess with your preparation? It's it's a weird college football season for everybody, but now ASU has that uh, additional 
obstacle of you have to quickly put that USC game in the rearview mirror, except you don't want to put all of it in the rearview because you did a lot of stuff really well against one of the best teams. I think in the Pac-12, maybe even in the country, when you consider the offense that USC has. So thanks to Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source there yet again. And um, we come back. We'll take a look at the Cardinals' defensive side of things as we hit the halfway point. That was the area that didn't get talked a whole lot about in the offseason. All the focus was on Kyler, certainly, and, and adding DeAndre Hopkins. But ultimately, defense is probably going to determine just how far this team goes this season. So how has it looked through eight games, and how does Buda Baker feel about it through eight games? That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Yeah, I know I said we were going to talk football, but we're going to have to audible here. There, that's your football. I used the football term. Now we're audibling over to... Now you football people are satisfied. Yes. Yes. Uh, Brian Windhorst, of course, of ESPN, tweeting out just in the last couple minutes. The Phoenix Suns have had discussions about acquiring Chris Paul from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Sources tell me, Brian Windhorst, and Tim Bontemps, story forthcoming. And uh, Zach Lowe tweeting something out a few minutes ago that he had mentioned Phoenix as his favorite sneaky Chris Paul team on the low post with Bill Simmons a few weeks ago. Uh, this is gaining some momentum. There's been been a little bit of rumors here over the last, what, 24 hours, I would say. I, I remember, Bear, you and I were talking about it after the show last night, that there was a, that thought was at least being tossed out there. If they were to go down that path, and nobody's throwing out names as far as what they would have to trade, I would assume... I would assume Ubre. Um, I, I mean, I would think I, you'd have to trade Rubio too, wouldn't you? Yeah. You're not going to have Rubio as your backup point guard for that money that he's making, right? Yeah, I, I that's that's a good point. Chris Paul, if you go out and get him, if this as the Phoenix Suns, if you go out and say, okay, we're going to add Chris Paul to. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Mikel Bridges. I'm assuming, as as Luke Lipinski right now, I'm assuming that none of those three guys would be moved in the trade. We don't really know who else would be. But I'm assuming you're building around those. I'm not just assuming. You are building around those three. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Mikel Bridges. So if you add Chris Paul to that trio, and obviously you would still have some other pieces, but if you do that, are you not announcing we're going for it now? Not just playoffs. You're pretty much shouting it from the Camelback Mountain. Yeah, that's a good call. It's the tallest mountain in the valley, too. So it's not like you're you know, not yelling it from like Papago Park where some people would hear you. You're going Camelback Mountain. That's not just a, hey, we want to get into the playoffs move. That is a, we want to make some noise in the Western Conference because Chris Paul is already 35. He's got two years left on this deal. And what did you say? $41 million this year, $44 this year, million next year? 2020, 2021, he is set to make four, uh, 41 point, if you round it out, $41.36 million. Okay, that's a And lot. according to the website SpotTrack.com, he has a 2021 player option, which he will no doubtedly pick up because in that season, he is set to make 44.2 million dollars yeah his age 36 season that's definitely not a uh longevity type of move if you're acquiring a 35 year old point guard who still has 85 million dollars roughly on his contract yeah and 
My default typically is I don't really care so much about the money because it's not my money. Um, I care about what you're giving up. Are you giving up draft picks? Are you giving up first round picks? Are you giving up just who are you giving up? That there's there's no way for me to really sit here and say, oh, you got to do this or you got to not do it until I know what you're giving up. But I, I so I will operate like this. If you are keeping Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and, and Mikel Bridges, and obviously the only one there that's that would even remotely be considered to be thrown into a trade like this would be Bridges, I guess. You're keeping those three, and you're adding Chris Paul. This is unlike any move we have seen from the Suns, if they were to actually do it, in a long time. I mean, for, the, for year after year after year, from Ryan McDonough and... Really, just the organization as a whole for for the better part of a decade, it was like, well, we just want to stockpile as many first round picks as we can, and we want to we want to pick near the top of the draft, and we want to keep drafting a bunch of twenty year olds who will ultimately either flame out or go to different teams, and and we'll just never go anywhere. This this is going for it, and it's going for it in a way that says we want to climb up the Western Conference ladder in a hurry because. If you look at what the Suns did in the bubble and the good feelings it it kicked into a, to high gear for everybody here around the Valley, you go 8-0 in the bubble. And I know, and let's be completely honest with ourselves here, a lot of the teams they were playing were already in the playoffs. So it's not like they were necessarily getting this team's best, Team A's best or Team B's best. I mean, they were, you know, what they started with Washington, Washington's terrible, and Washington was pretty much done at that point, it felt like. You know, but you go through and you beat some good teams. And like Dallas, Dallas knew they were in, but you beat them twice. And seeding was on the line for, for some of that. And like the Clippers, you beat them. And yeah, you can make the counterpoint. Like, yeah, the Clippers were already locked in. They were just kind of tuning. Whatever. The Suns still beat them in, in dramatic fashion. Regardless of what the other teams were fighting for, the Suns went 8-0 and down the stretch. And even if you take a step back from that, during the regular season, yes, they had some brutal stretches like from you know mid-December to basically right after Christmas. And I mean, they, they had some stretches throughout the season, certainly when they didn't have DeAndre Ayton, where they would lose four or five games in a row. But overall, they beat better teams last year than they had been in previous years. And it didn't seem like as much of a fluke. Like they clearly took a step forward last year. And yet, even with all of that, if they don't make the Chris Paul trade, if they just stay exactly the same as they are right now, you're looking at a team that finished essentially 10th in the Western Conference last year. And when you look at the nine teams ahead of them, who are you definitively going to say they're going to finish ahead of next year if you just kept the roster the same as it is right now? Lakers, no. Clippers, no. Nuggets, no. Rockets, probably not. Oklahoma, Utah, Dallas, Portland, Memphis were the other teams ahead of them. I mean, if you get Chris Paul from Oklahoma, you should finish ahead of Oklahoma. Uh, Utah... You're hoping to be right right around where Utah is. Dallas, I, I'm just, they're still on the way up, and they were already ahead of the Suns by almost 10 games. The issue in the Western Conference is when you look behind the Suns, New Orleans should be better. Minnesota should be better, but I don't think they're going to close the gap with the Suns just because they have the first pick in a draft where nobody knows who the first pick is. Golden State, though. Remember, Golden State was last in the Western Conference they're going to have Steph Curry. They're going to have Klay Thompson. They're going to have the second pick in the draft or something they get in return for that second pick. They're going to be a playoff team. So if you just stand pat, you may miss the playoffs again. 
if you go out there and break the bank for Chris Paul, well, you better at least be a playoff team. And honestly, if you do that, aren't you making a push closer to like sixth in the Western Conference and maybe have a chance to win a series? And that's the hope, right? That's the realistic hope. So we'll see. Obviously, nothing is done. Uh, I'm looking for any updates right now. I, I feel like yeah. this is going to happen, though, don't you? It just does sort of feel like one of those things where, like, uh, like I know, Wo- like I don't doubt Brian Windhorst, but like you know, this isn't a tweet from Woj or Sham Sharania, but yeah. Brian Windhorst is pretty tapped in, and I know it's just discussions, but I, I there's been too many instances where this rumor has come up yeah, for look, me, even if it doesn't happen. The fact that they are having discussions and this is not, you know, this is not the team floating out there. Oh, yeah, we're interested in going for it. Like, no, this isn't. This is Brian Windhorst saying, you know, the discussions have already happened. If that's um, even if the trade doesn't happen, doesn't it sort of signify the mindset of this team now? And this should be the mindset of this team. You've got one of the best players in the NBA in Devin Booker. Maybe he's not top 10, but that's not because Devin Booker's not a top 10 caliber player. It's just there's a lot of really great players in the NBA right now. But on any given night, Devin Booker can certainly be one of the top 10 players in the league. And if what we saw in the bubble is any indication, he's taking another step. So he may be a top 10 player by this season. DeAndre Ayton, he's always going to carry that that little footnote of, yeah, he's DeAndre Ayton, but he's not Luka Doncic. True, but he's still a good player, and he should still be getting better. Mikael Bridges, I'm really encouraged by what I've seen from him. So if you, like I said, if you take that trio and you add a guy like Chris Paul, you're going for it. You're And, and by it, I mean like winning a playoff series at least, because Chris Paul has only got two years left on this deal, and when it's done, he's going to be a 37-year-old point guard. That's different than being a 37-year-old quarterback. Kind of like it. I definitely like the mindset that it 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 symbolizes. I like the you know what we've been playing around for ten years. It's time to go for it, and we've got we've got pieces where it's not it's not okay. We're going to add Chris Paul to Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender and Alex Len, and we really think we have something here. Like yeah, you're going to have an angry Chris Paul who wants to leave ten games into the season. You're going to get a tweet from a hair salon somewhere <laughs> before he even gets here. He's going to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be, be in there. Phoenix. I don't, don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. It's even better. Yeah, so uh, look, we'll certainly keep you up to date if anything happens within the next hour. But again, Brian Windhorst tweeting out, now about 15 minutes ago, the Phoenix Suns have had discussions about acquiring Chris Paul from the Thunder. Sources telling him and Tim Bontemps' story forthcoming on ESPN. And uh, it's picking up some steam around Twitter right now, so... There's now a story up now at oh, ArizonaSports.com. Yeah, well, you see, you knew we were going to have one up. I'm going to check that out during the break. You should, too, and then come back because the reload is next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. All right, well, our top story tonight has just evolved in the last 20 minutes. Brian Windhorst tweeting out that the Phoenix Suns have had discussions about acquiring Chris Paul from the Oklahoma City Thunder. We've got a story up on ArizonaSports.com right now. ESPN has a story up that, among other things, says talks have been ongoing and continued to gather traction, but there is no deal imminent. 
Uh, also, they add there is currently a moratorium on trades as the NBA goes through procedures to start next season ahead of the league's draft next week. So it's possible. You know, we could hear in the next hour. We could hear in the next three days. Maybe we never hear it. But we could certainly hear that a deal has been agreed to, but no deal, it sounds like, could officially go through. But that's not really Those are semantics. I mean, if you're a Suns fan, do you want this? You can tweet into the show at Rundown987. This is the stat that stands out to me, and I was doing some heavy counting there during the uh, break. Chris Paul's been to the playoffs 12 of the last 13 years. Like, I'm just trying to visualize the Phoenix Suns this season with Chris Paul on the roster, and I understand he's a 35-year-old point guard, and I understand that a year ago at this time, a lot of people around the league looked at his contract where he's set to make, what, $41.4 million or $41.36 million this upcoming season, and then over $44 million next season. A lot of people looked at that contract and said, good luck ever trading that. But then he went out there and was pretty amazing this past season. Got Oklahoma City a lot higher in the standings than I thought they were going to go. And yeah, if if you envision this upcoming season for the Phoenix Suns and everything's just the same, to me, I see a good team on the rise in a very tough conference where not a lot of the teams in front of them are going to drop off, so they're going to have to climb over teams. Like Teams aren't going to fall behind them. But then also, Golden State was behind you. They're making the playoffs this year. And maybe New Orleans, or maybe I don't think Sacramento would finish ahead of the Suns. Maybe there's a world where they both get into the playoffs. But the point is the Western Conference is pretty brutal in terms of making the playoffs. But if you then re-envision the Phoenix Suns with Chris Paul, that's a playoff team. It's a playoff team and they haven't been to the playoffs in 10 years. So on the most simple level, I'm all for it. You're going all in on the next two years as an organization. You don't make a trade for a guy like that at that point in his career. When he signed for two more years, you're not doing that to get into the playoffs. For me, from my perspective, if you are a you know, Suns fan's perspective, you just want to make the playoffs this year. But if you're making that trade, the team is saying we got to get in the playoffs and we have two years to not only make the playoffs, but go on a run in the playoffs. So stay tuned because if they do that, That's going to be some craziness with the NBA season set to start in about a month and a half. And free agency set to start next Friday, the day after Cardinals Seahawks. So it's it's getting a little uh, little crazy around here with uh, with the sports. To the Cardinals, Bart Scott on ESPN Radio essentially saying Kyler Murray is not a leader, and maybe it's not just from what he saw after the game on Sunday, but he uh, he does not really like the Cardinals' young quarterback's demeanor. This isn't a one-off. If you listen to some of his other interviews after they've lost, you know, especially last year when it was a tough season, he doesn't come off as, to me, a leader of men. Remember they talked about his leadership was questioned when he came out and they said he didn't interview well? Listen, this is, he is a bit a, of a me guy you're right, saying? Like I, think, he's, I think he's all about me. See, quarterbacks be, have because, to be because leaders. He, because he don't put the onus on himself. He puts it on we have to do something better when the team struggles. So that tells me he's a finger pointer, not a thumb pointer. I, I mean, I, I do like that phrase there at the end, a finger pointer instead of a thumb pointer. I don't agree with that at all with Kyler Murray. I have personally heard him in the past put the blame on himself after a loss. He doesn't do it as often as Cliff puts the blame on himself. But Kyler puts the blame on himself quite a bit. And he just doesn't... He's 
He's just not a loud talker. Bart Scott went on on that uh, that same show to say he could see Kyler flipping out on a reporter at some point here. I'll play that too. I said it first. Kyler Murray is not a leader of men, and if this team hits adversity, they lose Fitzgerald. You know, they ever have Andrew Hopkins. He's going to come apart at the seams. He's going to be one of these guys that goes out and spazzes out on a reporter. He's going to be one of those guys, man. I know what I know, and I know what I'm watching. I'm telling you, this guy's not when, when a does CEO. The, yeah, I just I don't see it. The, the, the last bit that he was saying there when they were kind of both talking at the same time is that he's, he's, he said Kyler's not a CEO. I just don't see it. I, I'm, I'm sure we're going to see Kyler be irritated after a game and taking questions from the media. Like I said, this guy takes losing a little bit harder than a lot of players in the NFL. It, it clearly bothers him a lot. It bothers everybody in the NFL. But I, I think you can draw a little bit of a distinction with Kyler Murray now through the first 24 games. The losing seems to bother him more than he seems to enjoy the winning. Now, maybe that changes there in the playoffs, winning playoff games, you know, knocking on the door of getting to the Super Bowl or something. But right now, early in his career at the NFL level, you can tell he, losing does not sit well with him. Bye weeks don't even seem to sit well with him. He wants to be out there playing football and winning. And I didn't have a problem with anything after that game on Sunday. I'm not even sure I would have had that much of a problem, although I can see why other people would have. If instead of a lot of just silence, he had said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a little upset that we didn't uh, we didn't go for it on fourth down, or we didn't have a better play call on third down, or that we weren't more aggressive to try and score a touchdown instead of kicking a field goal," I wouldn't have even had a problem with that. But I at least understand why some people would have, because you could say, "Okay, well now you're kind of driving a public rift between yourself and the coach, whether it's there or not. You're opening the door to that perception." But he didn't say any of that. He didn't say anything. If he had said something, everybody this week would be saying. You know, you really got to keep that to yourself, Kyler. So he kept it to himself, and people are still mad. He should be upset after the way that game ended. If he had gone up there and been like, oh, well, you know, we'll get him next time. That's great. You know, who cares? I'm getting paid, and it's football, and we're having fun, and I'm famous. Okay, well, that that to me sounds like a quarterback that's never actually going to win anything. Cardinals aren't going to win anything this season if they play the way they did in the fourth quarter of that game, but... They've got the quarterback with the skill, the talent, and the mindset to win some very big games. And honestly, I think in the not-too-distant future, I'm not... Now, if this becomes a pattern with him, I guess maybe it would be more bothersome. But him being visibly upset after a loss, I have no problem with it at all. Uh, Sticking in the NFL... The league approving a couple measures today... They would expand to a 16-team playoff. I know they've been talking about it, but they would expand to 16 teams this season. It would just be for this season. If future games are lost because of the pandemic, and if that happens, there will not be a reseeding for the playoffs, and that vote was unanimous. So the team to keep an eye on right now is the Steelers because they have a few players that are now questionable for this weekend, and if it gets to the point where that game has to be moved, Pittsburgh has already had their bye week. So then you start to talk about pushing it to a week 18 and then you're getting up against potentially just having a 16-team playoff. NFL also uh, approving a plan that gives incentives to reward teams with draft pick compensation if they develop coaches and executive of, of color. So trying to get a little more diverse. There's, there's at least some diversity at the head coaching level now. 
Although it's not that hard to look around and be like, hey, how about Eric Bieniemy on Kansas City? Why isn't he a head coach yet? That offense is amazing every year. Um, so, and look, there's still certainly some work to be done. And in the past, the NFL has tried to kind of go down the path of maybe punishing teams for not taking that extra step, but this way instead maybe incentivizing teams that uh, that make sure they include everybody as they should anyway. If you want to have success, why wouldn't you want to open your, uh, your talent pool to every level of diversity? Um, sticking with well, – actually, we'll go over to baseball. We talked about the story briefly last night because it happened. It came out last night while we were doing the show. But Tony La Russa, a little bit more of the details of the story of, of his uh, DUI in Arizona back in February. Cody, do you have the quote? What did he, he said? He basically told the officers he's... he's I'll a, paraphrase. Okay. he's. <laughs> I'll find the exact quote while you he paraphrase. He said... I'm a baseball. Uh, I'm a Hall of Fame baseballer guy. Yeah, basically is what he said. Yeah, he said, "Do you see my rings? Yeah, do you see my ring? Also, who, who just wears their World Series ring like <laughs> as a part of your ensemble? I get that it's cool, but like those rings are usually like ridiculously large and yeah, I'm I." I I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say if I had a World Series ring, I would never wear it. But I'm not going to wear it while I get DUIs and points to it to tell the cops that they should just let me go because I'm a Hall of Fame baseball guy. So that story's a mess, and that is his second DUI. If you recall, he fell asleep at an intersection in Jupiter, Florida back in 2007. So... Uh, the other baseball note real quick, just because I want to see Cody's reaction and I'd like to make him angry. Can you just refresh everybody's memory who won uh, AL Manager of the Year? The genius Kevin Cash. Were the Dodgers voting in this? If I was a Dodgers award? fan, Kevin Cash would have got my vote. You know, it's interesting. Tampa Bay all season like didn't have as much money as these other teams or like a team like the Dodgers and they overcame it and then they ultimately got done in by a guy whose last name is Cash. So it like it all kind of came full circle with Tampa Bay anyway. But yes, he is your AL manager of the year and college football very quickly. Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, Tennessee. Those four teams were supposed to play this weekend. Uh, their games will not be happening this weekend because of COVID. When we come back, play a round of this or that. It's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. It's the Rundown. 98.7 FM Arizona's Sports Station. All right, Luke Lipinski back here with you. Bear behind the glass. Play a round of this or that just to mix things up a little bit. Although I will say, if you just jumped in your car... Or if you're just tuning in right now, or if you missed the last couple segments. Brian Windhorst tweeting out that uh, the Suns have had talks with Oklahoma City about pulling off a trade for Chris Paul. Trade hasn't happened. Nothing is imminent, according to the story on ESPN. We have a story up on Arizona Sports, just went up in the last half hour. Sounds like, while nothing is imminent, it sounds like it is being pretty seriously discussed. So... Cody, I will, uh, the, the way this game works, this or that, I will give Cody four scenarios. 
where there are two potential outcomes, and he will give me four, and we just do unrehearsed. Here we go. First one, I'm going to keep this simple. Okay. Would you rather have Chris Paul or Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre? That's hilarious. That is literally one of my questions. <laughs> the exact phrasing. Oh, man. I think I'd rather have Chris Paul. Yeah. His age and just, I know it's not my money, like you were saying, but like, I don't know. He's 35 years old and is owed 80, over $80 million the next two years. That's a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, if that move gets them into the playoffs and a chance to win a playoff series, I think I'd take it. Yeah, because it's been 10 years, and right or wrong, I'm so, sort of approaching this season as Kelly Oubre's last with the Suns, whether it's that he walks at the end of the year in free agency or they trade him at the deadline, or you know, in this case, I guess they would trade him before the season even starts. So if I'm, if I'm approaching it with the mindset of I only have one more year max with Kelly Oubre anyway, then it doesn't hurt that much to lose him. If I'm getting Chris Paul back, and I don't need Ricky Rubio if I'm getting Chris Paul back. Now, right. what are you doing in a couple years? But, you know, honestly, what are you doing in a couple years? Maybe you draft a point guard with the 10th pick in this year's draft. Also, I was just going to say, what about draft picks? I don't know what they're, what the Thunder will want in terms of draft picks. With I don't think they would just do Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre for Chris Paul. Yeah. I'm not I'm not real keen on throwing in a bunch of draft picks though here. If if now if you swap picks with Oklahoma City this year, that'd be okay, I think. Yeah, just cuz this draft Where is Where are the not Suns picking again? 10th. Uh but the thing is if you if you get Chris Paul, just know you're going to have him for 2 years. So that gives you 2 years to go out and find your point guard of the future. And I don't want to be finding it like the day Chris Paul's leaving. You know, right, I don't want to right, be drafting right, the guy right. when Chris Paul's out. So, you I, ideally I would, if you did that, you would want that point guard at least being under Chris Paul for at least a season. I would like to draft him with the 10th pick this year because if I'm bringing in Chris Paul, then in theory my first round pick next year would be hopefully like closer to 20, which is nothing in the NBA at that point. All right, well you took one of my questions away, so I only have 3 for you. <laughs> It was a tough week for football uh, fans in Arizona, to say the least. Right, Luke? We are both really depressed. Yes, absolutely. All right. But which, Thanks for bringing it up. Which was worse? ASU's loss to USC or the Cardinals' loss to the Dolphins? ASU's. ASU's? ASU's. Definitively. Be- yeah, because, look, they both sucked. But the Cardinals' loss to the Dolphins, which is replaying on this TV right in front of me right now, is... It's an NFL loss. It's a it's a close game, and you're going to play, if you're a good team, probably eight of those a year, and sometimes you're just not going to win them. It don't, I'm, not, I'm not under uh, selling how frustrating that was, but for ASU, assuming they can play out this whole season, ASU played well enough in that game to beat USC in their building, and if you can play like that, then you could go undefeated this season. It's not inconceivable at all that you could go 6-0, and get to the Pac-12 championship, and then, you know, you're probably playing Oregon, and, then, and who knows, Oregon's pretty good. But now you've lost USC in a game that you, you pretty thoroughly outplayed them. Now the undefeated thing is off the table. It's going to be really tough to win the Pac-12 South because USC's in the Pac-12 South, and they're probably not going to lose very many, if any, games. And the way it happened, a tipped fourth down pass in the end zone just to barely keep USC alive then an onside kick recovery another fourth down conversion a touchdown yeah no ASU certainly that was worse 
<sighs> All right, let's um, it's a lot of painful stuff locally. Let's go here. Let's go national. Real simple one for you. Ready? Tua or Herbert? Oh, jeez. Who are you building around? Tua. Tua. Wow, really? Wow. Yeah. Two games in. Well, I also go back to the college days. Yeah. Herbert's good though. Herbert's better than I thought he was going to be. My lasting memory of Justin Herbert was that just horrendous performance he put forth against ASU last year. And I'm like, wow, this guy's not a good quarterback. And then he comes in, you know, doesn't even not even supposed to be playing in that in that his first game and that he's been great ever since. Yeah, it is uh it is crazy to think that he really couldn't move the ball very efficiently at all against ASU last year and now he's just no NFL defense has really been able to slow him down. But like Tua is the first Alabama quarterback that I can remember being the reason that they won games yeah. in a championship because before that it's usually the defense that carries them and the running backs. Yeah. But Tua was like that. And Jalen Hurts, of course, was good, but Tua was like that one guy. It's like, wow, Alabama is winning these championships because of their quarterback. Which doesn't usually happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I think I would take Herbert. Man, I don't know. I I, I will say Herbert's this. also more mobile than I thought he would be, too. Yeah. Miami's a Everyone lot better is than more Chargers. mobile than <laughs> Now every quarterback's trying to run. You have to. If you uh, seriously, if you are a quarterback that can't run, you are so far behind all the other quarterbacks coming into the league now. All right. Um, well, the Jets did everything they could last night to win a game, and they somehow didn't. <laughs> They're still winless, sitting at zero and nine, with Trevor Lawrence in their sights. So I'll ask you this: Where will Trevor Lawrence be playing football next year? Will it be with the Jets or at Clemson? Well, I like that you said Jets or Clemson because the Jets are getting the first pick, and they made that pretty clear at the end of the game last night, and also they're just not very good. And neither are the Patriots, as it turns out. I love the stuff going around last night that Bill Belichick was trying to get the Jets to win so that he doesn't have to face Trevor Lawrence (laughs) twice a year. Everybody just assumes Bill Belichick is an evil genius. He is. Because he is. He is one. He's Uh, the evil emperor. (laughs) But the Patriots have 166 points scored this year. Like that's that's behind Jacksonville. Um, I'll say the Jets. I don't think he's going to go back to college. He's already he's already had a lot of success at the college level. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to risk it to risk injury as a quarterback, especially from what we just saw with Tua last year, where I mean he had to be playing, but he he got that hip injury, and people were talking about his career being over. You know, even if you suffer an injury that's not career-threatening, you could lower your draft stock. There's no guarantee if he doesn't go in the draft this year that the Jets might not somehow end up bad enough to take him the following year. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I think he's... I think You're play stuck, for the Trevor. We're going to be bad again next year, too. We'll, we'll ruin our, our entire organization just to make sure you have to play for us at some point. Um, okay, let's go back to the Suns and a variation of okay. the question I asked earlier. Okay. Would you rather have Chris Paul or Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, and Cam Johnson? <laughs> Would you rather be guaranteed the Suns make the playoffs uh, the next two years, but they do take a step back after that, ah. or continue on the current trajectory where they could make the playoffs the next two years, but you don't know? Well, if I don't know how big the step back is after the next two. Oh. It's a bit of a step back. I mean, not not like you're, you're done. You but. wouldn't have... Well, you wouldn't have a point established point guard. Yeah. 
hopefully you would, but but you also wouldn't have Rubio. Who you wouldn't I'm, have Rubio or Ubre. Yeah. Uh. Well, shoot. You and these <laughs> tough questions. <laughs> I think I. I don't know. I promise my last question is much easier. Mine too, and I have to answer this one. I think I'd still rather have Chris Paul. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't remember saying Chris Paul's name in there. I just said, would you rather have the Suns guaranteed to make the playoffs? Oh, next well, then uh, I don't. Still, I don't know. <laughs> yes. It's it's very yeah. I mean, obviously that was the Chris Paul uh, option. Okay, do you have one more? Yes, I do. Already got. Well, today Luke is National Vanilla Cupcake Day. Is it really? It's very specific. Uh, so I'll ask you. <laughs> oh, I have questions, but let me let me see if you answer them with your question. Which is the better cake flavor, chocolate or vanilla? And I'll throw a third one in there. Ice cream cake. Ice cream cake? Oh, that's not fair. It would have to be ice cream cake, wouldn't yes, it? Yes, it would. Um, I'll stick with the original, because I feel like ice cream cake is like... Not, the, the it's not a cake. Well, I, I, I accidentally like, turned my own microphone off. That's uh, That's been done before on the show. Um, remember, Jarrett used to produce the show. He well, would turn it off yeah. and talk. So... Do I still get to pick the icing? <laughs> like, I don't like a chocolate cupcake with chocolate icing. I don't like icing at all. What? I like a vanilla no. vanilla cupcake with chocolate icing, okay. I feel, is the way to go. Well, the cake flavor is then vanilla. Okay. Is that what today is? That was it's my question. It's vanilla cupcake day. Cupcake cake. Cupcake. Yeah. Not day. not cupcake icing or anything. Just no. no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I would go... Today is National Chocolate Icing Day. I bet... I- I bet there is one, and I hope it's announced in that voice. Uh, my last one for you, I'll go to football. Would you uh, rather have Chris Paul or... <laughs> would you rather have Chris Paul playing quarterback or Kyler Murray <laughs> playing point guard? No. Uh, would you rather... Ooh, Kyler Murray playing point guard. That's hmm. interesting. <laughs> Although, if he was unhappy after a Cardinals game, how would he feel after a Suns game right now? So, let's say the Cardinals are in the playoffs this year, and both their running backs are healthy. Who do you want starting, Kenyon Drake or Chase Edmonds? Kenyon Drake. Okay. I love me some Chase Edmonds, but after I saw him get the ball, I don't know if he was really used correctly. Again, you know, I say this, I'm not an expert. I'm not Cliff Kingsbury level of smart, you know, calling plays and everything, but they pretty much just ran Chase Edmonds up the middle 25 times. They only threw him the ball, what, three times? Or he only had three catches, something like that. But I think if you're trying to get those, you know, I, I think Kenyon Drake converts that fourth and one. He's yeah, just a bigger yeah. body and and he's a more physical runner. But I, I and, we saw him do it two weeks. Yeah, ago. and you need to have that you know running between the tackles. And I think Chase Edmonds is more of a finesse type of running back and and a, and a pass catching threat. So I, I would rather have Kenyon Drake start. All right, that was this or that. That was pretty painless. It's the rundown. FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, nine weeks of fantasy football in the books. So, you you get to this point in the season, just the phrase fantasy football evokes an emotion from you. Either you're like, oh, this is great, I'm excited, I'm loving it this season, I can't wait to like make waiver moves on Tuesday or Wednesday night or whatever, or you're just like, I hate football because my fantasy team is a disappointment. So this next segment, to wrap up the show, is for you. Last week we did, uh, Cody and I each put together our, basically our all-fantasy team. So, you know, the best running back, uh, two, two running backs, two receivers, quarterback, tight end, and flex. That was last week. Like, who is your all 
all-fantasy team midway through the season. This week, no, no, we're going the other direction. Your all-frustration team, nine weeks in. Bear, I feel like this is your specialty. Let's start You know what's funny about that is actually my season's going really well. I was on a six-week winning streak until this week. I lost this week, finally. Do you know, like, are you one of those people that when you lose, you know who caused you to lose? Not the person you're playing against, like, which player? Y- yeah. I mean, this week, this week, Derrick Henry didn't do anything. Uh, and he True. usually is, him and Devontae Adams have been carrying my team. That's a good But duo. he only had 68 yards rushing, no touchdowns this week. And then I got beat on Monday Night Football by Drew Brees, the Saints D, and the Saints kicker. So that was, thanks a lot, Tom Brady, so you for throwing know. three interceptions. All right, so you do have some vendettas. Yeah. All right, we got to go quick, but who do you have at quarterback? Uh, I have Cam Newton. Oh. Uh, All right. uh, 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 I wasn't ready for that. Yes. I mean, he started off the season really well, 25.7 points, 34 points. But then he, you know, had an issue with COVID. And, I mean, the Patriots offense, they've had so many injuries as well. And he had a good night last night, but that was against the Jets. So So that doesn't count. And he was drafted in my my league anyway. He was a later round pick, but he was drafted as someone's starting quarterback. Did you hear his quote after the game? No. Uh, he said, I'm tired of sucking. That was his ah. quote after the game. <laughs> well, so are we, Cam. Uh, mine's actually going to be based on where he was taken. Okay. Lamar. I I can... Lamar Jackson... I can sympathize with that. He is my quarterback. <laughs> See, I don't actually have him in any league because he was going second round. Uh, in our Second sc- round, jeez. In our scoring in our league, he is 13th among quarterbacks. Yep. He is 19th in scoring, though, behind guys like DK Metcalf, Travis Kelsey, Devontae Adams. Those guys all having great seasons. But if your quarterback that you took in the second or third round is being outscored by position players, yeah. and it's not like he's missing games. I uh-huh. really I really tried to limit my team to, to not picking on guys that have gotten hurt. Yep. He has been a disappointment right now. He's got three more points than Carson Wentz. Yeah, he was my third round pick. Yeah. So 12 more points than Dak, and Dak hasn't played in a while. Yeah. All right. Um, To the first running back slot, I'm going to go with Melvin Gordon from the Denver Broncos. He has been very mediocre this year. Uh, Started off all right, 15 points, 16 points. He had a 25-point game against, hey, the Jets. Seems like everyone who plays them does well. But since then, he missed a game because he had an incident with the law. And I don't know if he had COVID or not. I can't believe I can't remember. Um, but since then, twelve points, ten points, three points. Just yeah. and he's the lead running back there with uh, with Philip Lindsay behind him. So not good. Okay. Now I have to put this guy on the team. Okay. I said I wasn't going to do this based on injury, but this one in particular. Okay. As you have heard me vent and complain in the newsroom, <laughs> I built my brand new keeper team around Christian McCaffrey. Ah. And the team I think is pretty good. Christian McCaffrey and Patrick Mahomes, among others. But Christian no McCaffrey, one will fault you for taking McCaffrey or but, anything. Well, this is why it's so frustrating. He has ninety points mm-hmm. in less than three games. So it's like when he's he still plays, like the twenty fifth best. Yeah. <laughs> running back or whatever it is. When he plays, you're like, okay, well, I'm winning this week because McCaffrey's playing, but he's hurt again. Yeah. If he wasn't hurt again, he wouldn't have made my list. Um, My second running back, I'm going to go with Kenyon Drake. Yeah, that's why I have to. Okay, great. I mean, his obviously his breakout performance was against the Cowboys. We had 164 yards and two touchdowns. He hasn't scored over 14 points the rest of the year. And yeah. then he got hurt. 
Yeah, he just he really hasn't he hasn't had a game. You need your running backs, and he was drafted as a first rounder in Me, some leagues. My league, yeah, he was drafted in the first round. That guy's got to win you games, yep. not not be absent. All right, I'll start with receivers. Uh, I'll give you both mine real quick. Okay, Juju because he just he Juju's just hasn't on my list. Gotten going, and Mike Evans I think might be the most disappointing. <laughs> I'm glad I wrote down two other options for okay. my receivers because I have those two. Well, but the fact that we both yep. have them, yep, says something. Yep. Um, the other two I had, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., yeah. uh, not just because he was injured, but he really only had one really good game against the okay, the Cowboys. Jets and the Cowboys, they're a common <laughs> defense here. Get they, your offense going. And then he's obviously hurt. And then I'm also going to go with T.Y. Hilton, who has been just awful. Forgot awful he was in the league. Year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why Phillip Rivers doesn't throw to this guy, but um, his, his best performance this year, a 12-point performance against the Browns. Hasn't scored in double digits the rest of the in any of his other games. That's not great. Terrible. Uh, at tight end, this is interesting too because I'm looking at some of the preseason rankings. Uh-huh. One side I'm looking at had Lamar number one at quarterback, which I never would have gone ahead of Mahomes at quarterback. Yeah, uh, they had McCaffrey number one at running back. Uh, receiver, they had Michael Thomas number one. He actually could be on this list. Yes, he should be. Uh, tight end was Travis Kelsey though. He has lived up to it. Yeah. My uh, my frustrating tight end. I don't have him in any league, but Austin Hooper. I have him on here. A lot of people had the top him, tight end last year. Yeah, a lot of people had him really high on preseason rankings. He's yeah. averaging eight points a game. That's twenty eighth among tight ends. He has one touchdown all season. I actually drafted him with the last pick in my draft, and I thought, wow, I'm going, I'm getting a steal here <laughs> because nope. he was the top tight end last year. Uh, but no, not not. Uh, the case. Um, I also had on this list Zach Ertz, and that's mainly because of injury. Yeah. But he only had one double-digit scoring game this year before getting hurt. Well, mark it down. I made fun of Austin Hooper, but I'm going to have to pick him up in a league because Kelsey's on bye week, so <laughs> he'll burn me this week. All right, who do you have at Flex before we wrap up? Um, I have Marquise Hollywood-Brown. <laughs> He's, He's another guy I forgot was in the terrible. league. terrible. <laughs> yeah, he really has. Uh, that goes hand-in-hand hand with Lamar Jackson. I have DJ Moore who hasn't been okay bad. I, I can get I can understand that though but I'm looking at the preseason rankings and a lot of places had him like eighth or ninth you could make a case he's the number three receiver on his own team right now because the way Curtis Samuel has picked it up and Curtis Samuel's kind of running the ball now for them too and Robbie Anderson's been their number one receiver DJ Moore hasn't been bad but he has not been a, a number one receiver for you this season. Marquise so. Hollywood-Brown, by the way, only has two touchdowns this year and only one 100-yard game. I feel like at that point he's like Marquise like Riverside-Brown. He's not even Hollywood-Brown until he gets in the end zone. All right, that is going to do it for us here tonight. Thanks to Cody Fincher behind the glass. Thanks to you for listening, and stay here all day tomorrow for Devin or Chris Paul updates. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.